Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to portray him to the absence of a crowd. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, was president on December 7th, 1941. That was the day most of us probably are familiar with. That was the day that the armed forces of Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. The next day, President Roosevelt spoke to the American people, and he called December 7, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. And I remember the first time I heard that, I was in school, and he said that December 7, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. And I said to myself, what in the world is infamy? <laughs> you said the same thing. What is infamy? Infamy, beloved, is the state of being well-known for something bad, something evil, something wicked. Some people in history are famous. Other people are infamous. Adolf Hitler is not famous. Adolf Hitler is infamous. Benedict Arnold is not famous. Charles Manson is not famous. Charles Manson is infamous. Their names live on in infamy. You know, one of the things that I like about the, the Bible and appreciate about the Bible is the Bible is that the Bible is true to life. It records real lives and real events of real people in real history. And as such, the Bible has both famous and infamous people. We know some of the famous ones, Noah, Abraham, David, Moses, Mary, Peter, Paul, etc. But there are also many infamous characters, beloved. And the Bible has those as well. 
Cain, Pharaoh, Delilah, Jezebel, Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate, etc., etc., etc. But of all of the infamous names of men and women in the Bible, and even perhaps in all of history, beloved, none is more infamous than the name Judas. Judas Iscariot. Outside of Satan, Judas is the most reviled person in the Bible. No name, no name in the days of the apostles or the early church drew more emotional response than Judas. Every time, every time the list of the 12 apostles was read, every time the list is heard, Judas was always last. And his name always carried the caveat, the one who betrayed Jesus. Even today, beloved, even today, his name is more infamous than famous. I mean, Judas is almost a curse word. It has become a byword for traitor or betrayal. Even in our common culture today, if you call somebody a Judas, they will immediately know exactly what you mean. And yet, beloved, this is important to understand that in the life of Jesus and in the history of redemption, Judas is not just a byword. His life and role in the history are real. And as such, important for us to understand. His tale is a tragic tale, no doubt. Perhaps the most tragic tale of all. His story is a tragedy full of contrast and contradictions, full of potential and yet pain, full of highs and lows. Judas flew high but fell hard and fell fast. And yet, with all that being said, beloved, it is important to remember that however familiar we are with Judas, however familiar we are with Judas, and we are all familiar with his story that he did the unthinkable, that he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We all know that. This message this morning, however, I want to focus not so much on the story that tells us about Judas, but I want you to know that the story of Judas is not about Judas. 
like the betrayal of Joseph in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph is not about his brothers. The story of Joseph is about God. So it was with Judas. So it is with Judas. It's not about Judas who betrayed Jesus. It's about Jesus and those he came to save. And those he came to save. And in looking at this tragic story this morning, I want to do so by focusing our attention on three main players, three main names and subjects in this most important story. Judas the betrayer, Satan, the tempter, and liar, and Jesus, the Savior. And what they each mean to us this morning. Judas, the betrayer. The tragedy of Judas is not so much that he fell, but the heights from which he fell, beloved. The American Express credit card company used to run commercials in which they said, membership has its privileges. I never knew those privileges, because <laughs> I was never a member. But Judas was, Judas was a member, a member of the 12 chosen apostles, chosen by Jesus to be with Jesus. And membership, beloved, had its privileges. Like the other 12, like the other 11 apostles, Judas was present. Judas was present. He was in the presence of Jesus every day. He was among the brothers, walking and talking with Jesus every day. Jesus knew his name. Jesus spoke with him. He was among the disciples from the very beginning. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 19, when the first list of the apostles is given, there is Judas. There is not a list of the apostles in which G Judas was not mentioned. When the roll was called each morning, Judas was there. He was there. And we are not told exactly when, and we are not told exactly how Judas was adopted into the band of merry men, but he was there. 
He was there. He walked with Jesus for three long years. He listened to Jesus teach. He ate daily with Jesus at his side for three long years. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Judas was there. When Jesus turned the water into wine, Judas was there. When Jesus walked on the water, Judas was there. By the lake, when Jesus fed the 5,000 plus, Judas was there. When Jesus gave sight to blind Bartimaeus, Judas was there. When Jesus rose, raised the dead back to life, Judas was there. He was present. He knew Jesus, and Jesus knew him. But, beloved, he was not only there. Judas participated. He participated. Whatever was shared with the disciples, Jesus also shared with Judas. He participated. Did the, other, did, did the other disciples go out and preach? So did Judas. Did the other disciples perform miracles? So did Judas. Did the other disciples get scared in the midst of the storm? So did Judas. Did the others at times seem to lack faith? So too did Judas. And beloved, he was not just one of the apostles. He was trusted by the other apostles. John 12 and verse 6 tells us that they elected him treasurer of the group. He kept the bag. His presence and participation were well known. And not only was it well known, beloved, but apparently it was even appreciated. He sung in the choir. He taught Sunday school. He served in the parking lot. He counted the offering after church. He played golf with Pastor Phil. He made casserole for the church picnic. He was present. He participated. And because of all of this, beloved, Judas was blessed. This is amazing. The man was blessed. He was blessed because there are blessings in being present. There are blessings in participating. Presence is important. That's why we preach it. We love presence. We encourage participation. We promote presence. Your presence here this morning is important. There is not a more important place 
than you could be than here at East Point Church this morning. Your presence is a blessing. But not just your presence, your participation is important. Why? Because your presence and your participation helps to facilitate your growth. It helps to secure your salvation. It helps to maintain your encouragement. And it strengthens not just you, but your brothers and sisters who are here with you. That's why we return over and over and over again to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love. How we might encourage one another in good deeds. Not forsaking or not giving up meeting together, as is the habit of some. No, that's not our habit. We are present. We are participating because we are here encouraging one another because we know that in amongst the fellowship of the brothers and sisters, there is blessing. So don't miss this point this morning, beloved. Membership has its privileges. And the privilege is the blessing of being present. The blessing of being present in the midst of the brothers and sisters as we listen to Jesus, as we learn of Jesus, and as we love Jesus together. Judas is a reminder of the blessings of being amongst Jesus and his people. And even also, not just being present and not just participating, but being close because Judas had proximity to Jesus. He wasn't just present. He didn't just participate. Judas was close. He was close to Jesus. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he didn't skip over Judas. When they sat down to eat, Judas had a seat. He had a seat. At the Last Supper, we saw last week, Judas was there. In Luke 22 and 21, we are reminded that he sat at the table, that he ate the bread, and he drank the wine. But, beloved, he didn't just sit at the table, and he didn't just eat and drink, but he sat close to Jesus. John chapter 13 and 26 tells us that he sat close enough to Jesus for Jesus himself to give him a piece of bread. He had to be within arm's length. Okay. 
John 13 and 27 tells us that he sat close enough to him for Jesus to speak to him. And for the others to kind of wonder, what are they talking about? Judas didn't just have access to the money. He had access to Jesus. And therefore, Judas was blessed. He was present. He participated. He had proximity. He was blessed. He had all these things. He had all these things, beloved. He had all these things. He lived with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He followed Jesus. But he didn't trust Jesus. He didn't trust Jesus. And that, beloved, don't miss this, that, beloved, made him a prime target for Satan. The tempter and the liar. Judas was a prime target. The Bible does not tell the story of Judas apart from the scheme and the influence of Satan. Sadly, beloved, sadly, several times we are reminded of the power and the presence of Satan in Judas's life. In John chapter 6 and verse 70, Judas is called a devil by Jesus. In John 17 and verse 12, Judas is referred to as the son of perdition, the son of doom, the son of destruction, the son of hell, the son of eternal death. And therefore, beloved, it should not surprise us then that as we come to our text in Luke chapter 22 and verse 3, the Bible says that Satan entered Judas to directly influence his actions. Here's the point, beloved. Satan was pleased to be able to orchestrate these events. This was not just going to be about the death of Jesus. This was also about the demise of Judas. This was not just about Judas, beloved. This was also, and I think even more importantly so, about Satan. This is what this is about. And I think no one understood that more than Jesus. This ain't about Judas. This ain't about Judas. This is about the devil. 
This is about Satan. Because Satan has been dogging Jesus from the very beginning. Been dogging him from the very beginning. He was there. Satan was there when Jesus was born, inciting Herod to get word concerning his birth. Satan was there. When Jesus, as a young boy, Satan is after him, and Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt because Satan is dogging the boy Jesus. And as he comes of age, Satan continues after him. The Bible says that when Jesus went out into the wilderness to fast, there came Satan, dogging him on his trail, tempting him to give over again and again to the flesh. And as we have seen, as we have seen, and Jesus is going about doing the work of the ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of God, Satan and his demons dog him every step. Every time it seemed Jesus cast a demon out of somebody else, there were more demons he had to cast out. Every step, more demons, more demons, more demons. And so it is no wonder. It is no wonder and it is no surprise. It was no surprise to Jesus that Satan had managed, that Satan now had managed to deceive his way into the Lord's inner circle. It was no surprise to Jesus that Satan had now manipulated a position among those present with Jesus. Jesus understood. He understood what I think would be helpful for us to keep in mind, beloved, and that is that in and around our lives, our forces, seen, yes, but unseen, Enemies named and unnamed. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly Places. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood the forces that were against him. Jesus understood the plan. Satan's plan was to manipulate Judas. And so he entered Judas. He entered Judas. And you know why he entered Judas? Because he could. Because he could. Because there was something in Judas for Satan to grab hold of. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, the Bible says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, beloved, I get it. That's easier said than done. That's easier said than done. And Satan got a foothold on Judas because in Judas there was a foot to hold. Judas could say, like Flip Wilson, 
The devil made me do it. They, they, they don't know that, Murph. They don't know that. They don't know that. And in one sense, and in one sense, in one sense, he would be right. My beloved, understand this. Understand this. That the devil can't make us do anything we don't want to do, beloved. The devil can't make us do anything we don't want to do. What he does is take hold of whatever's already in us. He comes to get a foothold. And it's not hard, beloved. It's not hard. He comes and he gets hold of the pride and the ambition. He comes to get hold of the greed and the anger. He comes to get a hold of the lust and the fear. This is how the enemy works. He comes and he finds what makes us tick. And then he seeks a foothold. This is how he tempted Adam and Eve. This this is how he influenced Cain. This is how he tormented Job. This is how he deceived Saul. This is how he incited David. And this is what he did with Judas. He's got his claws in him, and he got a foothold. The devil was at work, but beloved, he didn't work alone. He had help. He had help. The chief priests helped him. The scribes and the Pharisees helped him. Pilate and Herod helped him. But most of all, Judas helped him. Judas helped him. Look at verses 4 through 6 in Luke 22. After Satan had entered him, he went and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the presence of the crowd. Not only, not only did Judas go away and hold a conference. He held a conference and conferred with the enemies of Jesus. And at this conference, at this conference, they hatched a plan, a plan for him to betray Jesus. And the Bible says he consented and sought opportunity. Don't miss that. Because this is what the devil does. Here's his scheme. Here is his influence. This is what the devil does. Confer, consent, and opportunity. That's how the enemy works. He seeks to confer, get your consent, and then provides opportunity. He wants to confer, get our consent, and then provide opportunity. 
It doesn't make, it doesn't make a person do anything. He provides opportunity and he encourages consent. He seeks consent and provide opportunity. And we fall, we fall, and we fail because we give consent to the opportunity. We give consent to the hate, to the anger, to the greed, and the lust. And then seize upon the opportunity. It's what he did with Adam and Eve. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. Confer, consent, opportunity. It's what the devil does. It's what he did with Cain. Confer, consent, and opportunity. This is what he did with David and Bathsheba. Confer, consent, and opportunity. This is what he did with Judas. Confer, consent, and opportunity. And this Beloved is what he tried to do with Peter. He asked Jesus, let me confer with Peter. I'll get his consent. And I'll provide him an opportunity. And Jesus said, no, sir, devil, you a liar. You are a liar. You are a liar. Because that is who he is, beloved. He lies. He lied to Adam and Eve when he conferred with Adam and Eve. He lied to him. He lied to Cain. He lied to David and Bathsheba. He lied to Judas, and he lies to you, and he lies to me. And when he comes to confer, he comes telling lies. Lying, trying to convince you that Jesus is not enough. Lying, trying to convince you that Jesus is not Lord. Lying, trying to convince you that Jesus is not gracious. Lying, wants to confer with you to get you to believe that Jesus doesn't love you anymore. Lying, lying. Saying that Jesus is not the Savior. It's a lie, beloved. That's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Straight from Satan's mouth. That's a lie. But we speak truth this morning. We speak truth this morning, and here is the truth. The truth is that Judas is the betrayer. The truth is that Satan is a tempter and a liar. And the truth is, despite his best lies, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Unlike you and me, Jesus is not ignorant of the devil's devices. He's not ignorant. He's not ignorant of the devil's devices. He knows what Satan is up to. In the movie, The Godfather, Don Corleone would say, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. 
Well, Jesus didn't just keep his enemies close like Judas. Jesus did what he told his disciples to do. Jesus loved his enemies. He ate with his enemies. He washed the feet of his enemies. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, he died to save his enemies. Listen, beloved, Judas wasn't saved, not because Jesus couldn't save him. Judas wasn't saved because Judas didn't want to be saved. Judas, Judas wouldn't be saved. Rather than follow Jesus, he faded on Jesus. Rather than trust Jesus, he became a traitor. Rather than believe the Lord Jesus Christ, he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important this morning. There's nothing more serious than to understand this, beloved, that Judas faded on Jesus. He faded. He faded. It was a slow fade, but he faded. Despite the presence, despite participating, despite the proximity, the devil came and he faded. He faded. And rather than love the Lord, Judas, like demons, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 10, loved this present world. He faded. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? The world has much to offer this morning, beloved. I feel it. The distractions come hard. And they come fast. Do you feel the fade? It's real. Do you feel the fade? You can look around on Sundays and you can almost see the fade. I feel it. You feel the pull of the flesh. You, you see the enticements of the world. You hear the whispers of the devil. I'm not talking about Judas this morning. I'm talking about you and me, beloved. The fate is real. The only thing that separates you and me from Judas this morning is the grace of God in community of the saints. That we are here. That we are here this morning. That's why we're here. We're here to confer with one another. 
We're here to confer with one another, to give each other consent to believe and trust and keep going and provide opportunities to be loved, to be cherished, to be reminded. Not how we might betray Jesus. We have come this morning to tell each other how we might better believe in Jesus. Rather than join the scribes and the Pharisees, Judas should have stayed close to Peter. He should have stayed close to John. Rather than confer with the chief priest, he should have been conferring with Jesus. He should have been saying, oh, Lord, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Jesus, I'm hearing whispers. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Because, Lord Jesus, prone to wonder. Lord, I can feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. And he should have looked at Jesus. And said, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May the Lord, may the Lord this morning confirm his seal upon your heart. And may he turn entering any wandering soul this morning back 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 to him let's pray